Now, and in verse number one, the things that I want you to see, if you've got your study notes, I hope you'd fill them out. Uh, if, you, uh, if you understand on that app that we have here for the church bulletin, uh, they're already filled out for you. But you also need to put your stuff in there too, okay? That's just my stuff. But hopefully it'll help you when you get home. There's some new things that's about to come in August uh, here at our church, some new things that we're wanting to do. And uh, you'll be able to fill out the notes and stuff and email them to yourself. But I want you to look at the end. If this is the end of all of these things concerning Israel, the first thing you've got to see is that in the very end, there's, some, there's a few things that happen. Number one is we see that in the end, there's going to be distress. In the end times, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be heartaches. Look at what it says in verse number 1 of Daniel chapter 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up, that great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. I want you to see the first part of that scripture, and we're going to save that, that latter part right there. But I want you to see the first part that the Bible says that God sends his angel in that's an, a fighting angel, an angel that is a, a warring angel. We know him, as the Bible says, his name is Michael. We know that Gabriel is a, an, an angel of announcement. He's the one, a lot of times, that gets to bring the words in and to share things. But this angel is fighting, and it says that there's going to be, Brother Mitch, in the last days there's going to be a war time. There's going to be a time that's troublesome. The Bible says in the New Testament that in the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous simply means uh, uh, disturbing or difficult times that are going to come. But in this scripture it says there's going to be a time of trouble. And look at that second part. It says such as never was since there was a nation even until the same time. There is key words in that scripture that you really need to keep in mind because we don't want to take the New Testament church, which is the bride of Jesus Christ, and put us into this prophecy. We are not a part of this prophecy. We are a part of the bride of Christ. We are not the wife. And I know that people go, well, you're just <clears throat> splitting hairs on this. We're not the so-called wife of Jehovah in the Old Testament. We are the children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God that have been brought in through adoptions, Ephesians chapter 1 says. But we're brought in through adoption by what? Through being married to Jesus Christ. We are not a part of the family, but we're brought into the family because of Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says that this troublesome time that's going to happen, he says that it's going to be so severe, so bad, and so difficult, and so distressing for the nation of Israel, even as the whole time they've been a nation, they've never suffered like this before. <clears throat> and if you look at the nation of Israel and you understand these Jewish holidays and these Jewish times where they celebrate, we went through two weeks ago talking about Hanukkah, and I hope that you understand now what a beautiful celebration the festival of lights is knowing that the that god is in that spirit of the presence of that fire and that it didn't go out the whole time that they were battling against uh, antiochus epiphanes and they won the battle and god proved himself to be faithful by his presence being there not only in the temple at the menorah while it burned for eight days but also god's presence was with them on the battlefield but he tells them it's going to be one of the worst times that you'll endure. Listen to what he says in Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 24. And always understand, take these scriptures and know this is not the New Testament church. This is the nation of Israel that's going to endure this. Look at verse number 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. That is so easy for us to understand. 
We should not look at it being determined upon the bride of Jesus Christ because that was not even revealed yet. That was not even given yet. Paul said many times, Behold, I show you a mystery. I show you something that was not given to the nation of Israel, but is given through these days of grace and the church age. Because they rejected it, Paul says in Romans 9, 10, and chapter 11, we receive the blessing. So looking at this scripture, he says it's determined upon thy people, the children of Israel, and upon thy holy city, the nation or the city of Jerusalem. He said all these things are going to happen. You remember he says to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and bring in everlasting righteousness and seal up the vision of prophecy and to anoint the most holy. He said what I'm going to do with you, Israel, is that my son is going to come through your lineage and all nations will be blessed, not because of Abraham, All nations will be blessed, not because of Isaac, the son Isaac, but what was coming through all of them, and it would be his son Jesus Christ. The Bible says that this is a time of Israel's distress and trouble. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 30, verse number 7 says. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. He said it's going to be a time like never before. And look at this. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The Scripture say that it's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble. Do you remember that Jacob was the sneaky, conniving guy and you remember that God told him he, he was so messed up that when he wrestled with God, God broke him pulled his hip out of joint, and he leaned upon his staff for the rest of his days and all of that. But you remember what God did with him? He said, you're no longer going to be called Jacob, which means supplanter or sneaky or conniving. Your name is going to be called Israel, right? Because why? When we get to Romans chapter 9... And we use this thing of, of the two that were in the womb, the Esau and Jacob that was in the womb and stuff. And people began to look at that as individuals that, that God picked Wes to be saved and chose for Craig to die and to go to hell. And that he picked Jacob to do right, but he chose Esau to do wrong. That's not true. The Word of God says that there were two, not people in the womb, but two nations within the womb. God was already seeing that he was going to call out of the seed of Jacob out of all of them. He was going to bring those 12 sons and they were going to have many people and throughout all of those tribes, God was going to do this miraculous thing because why? Because before the flood, he did not have a single people, but after the flood, he said, I'm going to have a chosen people, amen? And he chose them to do what? To bring his son Jesus Christ into this world. But also he chose him and chose Jacob and all of them and all of the tribes to do what? To show each different work that God was doing and how one man, one son, fulfilled every single thing. Amen? It says it's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble and not the church's trouble. The second thing we see is that there's going to be a distressful time. There's going to be a time like never before. But thank God for those who return and those who repent, there will also be a time of of deliverance. There will be a time that God delivers his people out of the trouble. Psalms 34, 19. If you don't have that, write it down. You need to write it in the front of your Bible. You need to take lipstick, ladies, and write it on the mirror while you're getting dressed in the morning because it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. You're going to have trouble. Jesus said, in this life, you will have persecution. If they hated me, (coughs) they will also hate you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the second part of that scripture says, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. 
And you can have hope in that and to know that no matter how dark the world gets, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And that no matter what the brightness of that light is, all light repels darkness. Amen. And no matter how dark it becomes in your life, there is deliverance. Amen. There is a voice who calls. Look at Daniel chapter 12. Look at the last part of verse number 1. He says, and at that time, thy people shall be delivered. He said, in the middle of distress, he said, there will be a time that those people will be delivered. Who will be delivered? Look, it says, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Moses talked about a book that God had. He even said that, God, these people are so wicked, Craig. These people are so evil. He said, God, why don't you just blot my name out of the book on behalf of them? And God said, no. They'll all stand for their sins individually. He was asking to be blotted out of the book. We know that the Bible talks about in the book of Psalms that there is a certain book that God has. In the book of Revelation or in 1 Thessalonians it talks about it. But in the book of Revelation it talks about it even in more detail. It says not only in Revelation is there a book, but there are books. And people think, well, how many books are there? Are there Encyclopedia, the Britannica Encyclopedia, and all of those things as if God needs that No, it's a record of everyone's life, a record of everyone's work, and those that are written in what is now called, because of Revelation chapter 21, it's never called this until you get to Revelation chapter 21. It's always called the book, or the book of life, or the books were open, but when you get to chapter 21, it is now called the Lamb's, capital L, Lamb's book of life. Why? Because he's the one that is the author and the finisher of what? Our salvation all salvation, amen. In the Old Testament, they hoped for a Messiah to come. In the New Testament, they looked at the Messiah that stood in front of them. In the New Testament with us, we're looking back at the Messiah, but everyone that has been saved has all been saved underneath the blood of the sacrificial lamb, and the lambs in the Old Testament pointed to the real lamb in the New Testament, and the real lamb in the New Testament points back to the Old Testament lambs, amen. We're all saved. The Bible says that we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. In the end, there will be deliverance. God will deliver the righteous. He will not suffer, as the Scripture says, the righteous to be removed. God has a remnant of his people. Even in judgment, even in tribulation and distress, God has a remnant. You know what a remnant is, and please don't let me cheapen this word for you. It's leftovers. God has leftovers that are there. He's got people that are still there and they're enduring all these things. We see that God will deliver those who are alive and those who are deceased. Look at what the next thing says. In the end, there will be deliverance, but in the end, there will be dominance. In the end, there is going to be, listen, and even now there is, there is this supreme, sovereign, all-powerful, omnipotent God. He is God and he is God alone. That's why he told Jeremiah that none should be worshipped over me. That's why Jeremiah looked at him and says, There's none besides you, O Lord. There's none that's like you. There's none that's above you. In the end, there will be dominance and power. Look at the first part of chapter 12, verse number 2. Look at the first portion that says there, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. 
And some of you think, well, that's only half the people that's going to be resurrected because the Scripture says plainly right there that many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. How could you get all people in the dust of the earth from that, Brother Steve, when it says many? Because during this distress, not all people will be dead. Not all people will be dead. They will be going through this tribulation time. There will be some during this time that they will be martyred. There will be some that will die and will give their life because of what they've believed in Christ. This deals with Jacob's trouble. This deals with seven years of tribulation. And he says that there will be many of the dust of the earth that shall awake. The dominance in this and the power in this is, is the point that Jesus called one man out of the grave by calling him out by his name. He said, Lazarus, come forth. During this end of this tribulation period, when deliverance shall finally come, all people, no matter if they are alive, many of them being alive, or many of them being dead and in the earth, they will all stand before God. They will all rise out of their grave. The Bible says in Revelation chapter number 20, it says that I saw both smoke small and great, stand before the throne of God. Many of them, all of them coming out of their graves and they were resurrected. You're talking about power. You're talking about the God that created the sun and the moon and flung the stars off of his fingertips that carved rivers and valleys and made, made the Grand Canyon all these things with the fingertips in the palm of his hands. He did all of these things and breathed in the man the breath of life. But in Ezekiel chapter 37, it says that when that man Ezekiel was going to prophesy, he said, prophesy to these dead bones. What, you know what that was? That was a pastor's calling. <clears throat> God took him around. He said, he said, what do you see here? He said, I see a bunch of dead bones. They're dry in the valley and stuff. That was the initial pastor's meeting, right? And he said, do you think they can live? He said, God, I don't know if they can live, but you know if they can live. He said, preach to them. He said, preach to them. And he said, if dry bones, no matter how dry they are, you preach to them, they'll come alive. Why? Because the power is not in their bones and the power is not in the person. The power is in the preached word of God. He said, prophesy to the wind and command the wind to breathe upon these slain. And the Bible says he did those things and that army stood up, an exceeding great army. And that's what he's going to do with Israel. He's doing that with Israel in the last days. They are, they are a dormant and dead nation, so to say. For years and years they've been oppressed under the Ottoman Empire, under all kinds of oppression. The Asians that had come in, the Mongolia, all these things, they were always oppressed and always pushed down. Even still today, they can't have a temple on top of the mount there, on top of the rock, because they have a Muslim temple built there, and Israel is pushed down. But someday, Ezekiel 37 is going to happen. They're going to come alive and be an exceeding great army of worshipers for the Lord. The Bible says that God is so powerful that He is going to speak the word and the dead are going to be raised. The dead are going to come out. Listen, there will be an absolute powerful calling before the holy throne of God Almighty. And I, I see it kind of like this. When you go into the courtroom and they all say, Hear ye, hear ye. Judge so-and-so is now presiding. You know, he's there or she's there. I see that same kind of imagery in what Daniel is saying. He said there's going to be a calling of people to the throne of God. This is not the call of the church. This is not the rapture of the church. 
It's not at all. When we are raptured out of our graves, when we are called, that some of us that may be living and some of us that may be in the grave today, all of them are not going to come up. Only those who are the bride of Christ will rise at the rapture, amen, and they will go up and meet the Lord in the air. But in this one, they're all going to stand before the judgment of God. We will not, man, we will not stand before God with a book in his hand. The Bible has clearly told us that Paul tells us that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is called the Bema seat. B-E-M-A, the Bema seat. You say, what is that? It is where you receive rewards. It is from the word that comes from the Olympic Games. In the Olympic Games, when they finally have competed and they finally have run their races and swam their laps and done all of these things, they come before everyone and the judges before the Bema seat to be judged by what they have done amen but to be judged by how they performed it how they did it but in this scripture it says that they will be judged and in revelation it says they will be judged on what they received if they received god or received jesus christ or not the dominance or authority of our lord will be heard throughout all the earth it's not going to have to come via satellite. It's not going to have to be texted. It's not going to be broadcast over airwaves. When God speaks and all of the people are called before the great white throne, I promise you, no one's going to go, I'm coming, I'll be there in a minute. They'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. And at that time, this is going to take place. There's going to be division. <clears throat> at that time, there's going to be a separation. The Bible talks about this in such a way that it's very, it's very hard. It hits your heart. If you're a believer in Christ, let me say something to you. If you say you're saved, and this doesn't affect your spirit within you, if it doesn't move you, it doesn't always have to move you to tears, but if it doesn't move you within to share the gospel with people before it is eternally too late, I'm not convinced that you have true salvation. If you are not disturbed by the fact that someday people, it could be your brother, it could be your sister, it could be your husband or your wife or your children or your parents, it could be your best friend, that they will stand before God someday and be judged on the fact of whether or not they received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior if they trusted in God. And it doesn't disturb you to know that they would be eternally separated from God's presence, from God's joy, from God's blessings, then I, I'm just not convinced that you have the same salvation. If you can look at someone who has been <clears throat> done you wrong, if you can look at another person because of their race or because of their nationality and all that, and you can't have compassion on them to share the gospel with them because you don't want them to be left without Christ, I'm not convinced that you're saved. No matter how long you've been in church, I'm just not sure that you have salvation because for us to not be moved by sharing the gospel and people dying without the Lord, that's just a terrible condition to be in. That's null and that's void. Look at the second part of verse number 2 that Daniel says right here. Look at chapter 12, verse 2, the, the second part. He says, those all, he says, many of them <clears throat> of the dust of the earth shall awake. And look at this. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It literally says that some people will be resurrected to life eternal. And some will be resurrected to damnation, which is also what? Eternal. The word everlasting is used for both of those. 
This is not God going, you know what, I'm going to put you over here in another time out for a minute, and you're just going to feel this hot experience, you're just going to feel this remorse, and you're going to feel this separation from me. But after so-and-so period, this is the end, Brother Mitch. This is the conclusion of it all. And when it's over with, you don't get another chance. It's eternal life or eternal damnation. And you say, Brother Steve, how could this not be talking about the rapture of the church? Because look at the resurrection that happens, the resurrection of all of those dead and all of those that are alive. After what? The time of Jacob's trouble. And then the second thing you see here is that in the rapture of the church, no one is resurrected in the rapture and no one is called up in the rapture to go into everlasting damnation or contempt. They're all called out into life to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this scripture does not need to be messed up by us in America and twist these things in our churches today and try to make this out to be the rapture of all people. What he's talking about is at the very end, this is going to happen. Listen to what Jesus said about these things. Jesus' very words were this. Look at John chapter 5. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall, excuse me, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this. In other words, don't be confused or think through this. He said, For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You you may think, and you may be tempted to say, that Jesus is quoting Daniel. That's not true. Because Jesus is the one that gave this to Daniel in the first place. This is Jesus' words. Daniel was quoting what God had given him and told him what was going to take place. Jesus said there's going to be this separation. This is where we get this crazy idea that there's going to be this line in heaven. We get this crazy idea and we get these jokes and everybody thinks St. Peter's going to be standing at the gate welcoming everybody in or, or, you know, dad goes in and he says, welcome home, Brother Donald, and you come on in and, and, uh, you know, hey, you take control here and and I got to go to the bathroom and all these stupid jokes come from this and this is not a joking matter and I think that's why that Satan likes to put these jokes in at this time the same way that people think that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a about as dumb as a bunny rabbit laying eggs during Easter season, Satan's always going to attack in those moments when we need to be serious. There is not going to be St. Peter standing at the gate checking you in with an iPad and seeing if you made it or not, okay? There's not going to be someone asking jokes and telling you to do this spelling word for you to spell Albuquerque before you get into heaven. There's not going to be this two line where the goat's over here and all this stuff. The only time that there's going to be two lines, listen, if you think about it, is those destinations of those people. When we stand before God, we are going to stand as the bride of Christ. We are going to heaven on the sole fact that he has welcomed us into himself. He has put us underneath his wing, and we are his bride. And when we go to heaven, we're going to stand before the Father, welcomed as the bride of Christ, and there is going to be a celebration supper that lasts for seven years in heaven, amen, which probably in heaven will be like that, right? But 
When people, all people, all of those Gentiles, all of those Israelites especially stand before God and they stand at the great white throne of judgment, Jesus said some people are resurrected to life everlasting and some people are resurrected to eternal damnation. That's why we need to be serious about it. That's why it's a serious thing, because you need to know Jesus today. Listen to what Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, Jesus says this, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The scripture deals with Revelation chapter 20. Daniel chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 20 are both parallel beside one another. They deal with these things. If we understood the rapture of the church correctly and we understand the time of Jacob's trouble correctly, then we can have confidence and know that this resurrection that's being spoken of in Daniel 12 does not deal with New Testament believers, but it deals with the total harvest of God's people. You say, what does that mean, Brother Steve? The Israelites were all about harvest. And the harvests were always broken down into not four or not one section, but they were always broken down into three different sections. You had what was called the first fruits that were to be given to God, that were to be holy, and they were to be separate, and they were to be sacred and set apart. You had the general harvest that would take place, and in the general harvest, that would be the calling of all. But then in the last of it all, you remember the story of Ruth and Naomi, you had those that would come in and glean, right? And they would pick up seed off the ground, Brother Wes, and some of those seeds would be good, and some of them would not be good. They would cast the seeds that were no good to the side, but the good seed they took in. Are you starting to understand yet? Amen. The Bible teaches us that if we could understand Jacob's trouble, tribulation, seven years, and we could understand the rapture of the church, then we leave here today with no confusion. We leave here today knowing that we are saved and that we are secure. We understand John 10, Brother Brandon, where it says that we're in the hands of Jesus, and Jesus is in the hands of the Father, and no man is able to pluck Jesus out of his Father's hand. And I know some of you go, well, what about us? We're in Jesus' hand, and if nobody can get Jesus out of Dad's hand, then they're nobody going to get us either. We cannot lose that salvation. If we understood this, we could really have something to shout about when we leave here. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says about the resurrection of us. He says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is vain also. (laughs) He says, "If, if he's not alive from the dead, we have no reason to meet. Close the books and go home. We could be fishing in between showers. You know what I mean? If Christ isn't risen, why do we come and worship? If Christ isn't risen, Andrew, why is somebody in the dump today having service and saying, Gloria, adios? And they're shouting hallelujah. He says, if Christ is not risen, then everything we do is in vain. Preachers, you preach in vain. Believers, your faith is in vain. He says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God also because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. He said, if he's not resurrected, you're still lost. 
Brandon sang in a while ago, if without him, how lost I would be. This scripture says, if he wasn't resurrected, you would be totally lost and still in your sins. He says, then, then, then he's bringing this together, amen? Then he says, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. They exist no more. That's over. In that small scripture, he says, if all of this is vain and Christ is not risen, then the people that have died, they're gone forever. It's over with. And he says these words, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If it ended there, Craig, it'd be a sad, sad day. I wouldn't even be able to eat barbecue. It'd be a bad, a sad day. But look at what the scripture goes on to say. But now is Christ risen from the dead. He says, but listen to me. Christ is risen from the dead. And look at what he calls him. He said, he has become the first fruits of them that slept. It says, not Lazarus. Lazarus, when he was resurrected, he had to die again. It's like you brought me back here to die again. He brought him back, but yet he died and had to go through it all again. But when Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected unto life eternal. He never died again. Listen to what Acts 26 verse 23 says. It says that Christ should suffer and that his, he, he should be the first uh, that should rise from the dead and would show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. It says he was the one that was going to come up out of the grave first unto life everlasting. <clears throat> Listen to what Colossians says chapter 1 verse 18 and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning and look at this phrase that he calls him the firstborn from the dead and it says that in all things he might have the preeminence he is over all things and when it comes to death Lazarus isn't over all things Tabitha isn't over all things Jairus's daughter isn't over all things when it comes to resurrection it's Jesus and Jesus alone that is the first fruits look at what the word of God calls him in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever and all God's people said amen right Jesus Christ is resurrected unto life he's the first fruits that are out of the grave he's the first one out amen many people look at this and they go well brother Steve um the resurrection of the dead, all right, that some of those people, when Jesus was crucified and all of those things, when he was crucified on the cross, I remember reading one time that the Bible says the graves opened up, that, that whenever the veil was split, that the graves burst open. You're exactly right. The graves burst open, and they looked over down in there, and they said, that's Meemaw. That's Peepaw and Pawpaw, and, and, you know, there's you know, my little babies and all that stuff. It only said that the graves opened. And they were open for three days. It does not say anything about the saints of God walking through the city until the day that Jesus got up out of the grave. When he resurrected from the grave and the stone was rolled away, it says many of the saints, the old saints of God, appeared to the people in Jerusalem. How about that for a wake up? Huh? How about that whenever the kids come to the door and they say, Grandma's at the door. And you go, She's been gone for 30 years. You know, there's no way. And the body of a resurrected saint is there going up with Jesus. 
They're going away. They're going into heaven. Amen. You say, that's the craziest thing of all. No. What's so crazy is that we don't fully understand the scriptures. The graves might have opened that day because he conquered death, right? The pain of death that day and the penalty of death, the tomb that sealed them in. But they didn't conquer the power of death until Jesus whooped death, got the keys of death, hell, and the grave and came out of it and delivered those people that were captive. I know it may not be good to you, but it's fine. It's because we sit in church and we suck it up and we soak it in and we get bottle fed. We need to grow up and get on this milk so that we know what's going on in our life. So that when we walk by our friends and I look at Craig someday, you probably go before I do, we've talked about this, and I look at him, I have assurance and know where he's at. What a horrible feeling it is to walk by the casket of someone and not know. Not know where they are. Because they never understood salvation. They never fully got into the meat of God's word. But when you walk by some of them, you got no doubt in your mind. They've lived it. They've professed it. They understood it. Amen. And they will be up someday. Listen, if Jesus was resurrected unto life, you just want to write this down. This would be good. So will we. <clears throat> Amen. So will I. If Jesus was resurrected unto life, the word of God promises me that so will I. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That's pretty good. That, I mean, that's really, really, really good. It says if Jesus got up because of the spirit <clears throat> that was in him and God raised him up, then if you have the same spirit that Christ has in you, you'll also come up. You can bury us 12 feet deep. You can stick us just 12 inches underneath the dirt. You can do whatever you want. Louisiana can float us out into the ocean. You can do whatever and put us on a mountain. But I'm telling you, when the time comes and Jesus calls his bride home, we'll be coming up. We will rise. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at what he says here in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He said it's not a dead hope or a mundane or a humdrum hope. He said it is a blessed hope. It is a lively hope. And he says he has begotten us again unto these things. The Bible says... He did this to do what? To give us, look at the next verse, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven. Look at those key words. It's an inheritance that can never be messed with or tampered with. It is an inheritance that is undefiled, will not rust away, it will not fade away. Amen? It is not Walmart's blue jeans faded glory, it's God's glory that never fades. Amen? So you go, what are you talking about? That's what I wear. <clears throat> Right, But someday I'll have a robe of righteousness that will not have the tag labeled in it, faded glory. It will be his glory, amen? Look, it says, look at this other key word. It is reserved for you. Doesn't it feel good to go in and know you have reservations? Doesn't it feel good that when you walk in, you can say, Abney, party of four. Usually it's Abney, party of 40. <clears throat> Abney party of four and they go yes sir Mr. Abney we've got your reservations right here then instead of hearing this there's an hour and a half wait you know what I mean I got reservations I have reservations and so do you listen to what the last scripture says we are kept no listen not we it says what our inheritance 
and our, our uh, inheritance that does, it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away, our reservation, it says what? That's all kept, not by us. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful that I don't have to depend on how good I am every single day in order to keep my reservations. I am so thankful that I don't have to worry about how much godly things that I have to do every day in order to keep my inheritance, amen, that I've got to do good for the Father. I've got to do good for the Son and be this great person and stuff. I'm glad that my reservations and my inheritance is not kept by me, but they're kept by the power of God. How? Through faith in salvation. It says in the Scripture, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation and ready to be revealed in the last time. I am kept by God. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Listen to this last one. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's finish the rest of that chapter. You remember we talked about it earlier. If he's not risen, then everything's in vain. We even ended with this scripture that Christ is risen from the dead and he's become the first fruits of them that slept. Look at the next part. This is good. It says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But... Every man in his own order. Uh, y'all, what is wrong with y'all? I've preached this forever. Every man in his own order. First fruits, harvest, and the gleaning. There is an order to the resurrection that God has put in place. He says there's going to be the first fruits. Then there's going to be a general harvest. And then there's going to be bringing in the rest, just the leftovers of it all. It says, but every man in his own order. Look, number one, it says, Christ, the first fruits, and afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. Okay? Now, looking at that, we understand that Paul's speaking about that those are part of the first fruits, Christ the first fruits, and then after those that are, that are Christ at his coming. And you look at that and you go, okay, is that the coming in the rapture, or is that the coming, the second coming of the Lord? And we're dealing with all of these things. Look at this. It says that Christ the first fruits, after they that are Christ at his coming. Look at these next words. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, and when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. He says there'll be a first fruits resurrection, there'll be a general harvest resurrection, and he says that there will be a gleaning and the end. It's over. Done. What's put in the barn will be in the barn. What's burned up will be burned up. It's it. Look at this other thing today. I don't even know what number it is, but I know it's the letter D. In the end time, there's also going to be delight. i got to get back to that other stuff in a minute, but there's also going to be delight. The Bible says in chapter number 12, verse 3, and some of you are thinking we're not going to finish. I can talk faster. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. What a joy it is to be a child of God, to share the gospel with people. He says, those that are wise win souls. The Bible says, if you want to be wise, be a soul winner. The Bible says, if you want to shine as the brightness of the stars of heaven, be a person who is dedicated to his word. The Bible says in Revelation that the pastors of the churches, uh, the angels of the churches is what he called them, <laughs> right? The pastors of the church, an angel means one that is sent, anglios. It means one that is sent. It means a messenger. He says that they shine as bright as the firmament of heaven. Daniel says right here that this is going to happen. It's a joy for us to be in dark 
times because why? We are the lot. Church, listen to me. We have got to stop complaining about everything going on around us. We can't see what needs to be done by complaining all the time. We can't see the darkness that people are in if we're always talking about the darkness and never showing them the light. We've got to be people of the day, not people in darkness. We've got to be people of the light. We've got to be like that song that says, Go light your candle for all the world to see. We've got to do that. Listen, there is delight in knowing that no matter how dark it is, that God is with us, that we are the light of the world. Here's the other thing. In the end, there is discovery. Daniel chapter number 12, look at verse 4. But Daniel, or but thou, O Daniel, he said, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. He told him in Daniel chapter 9, look down at verse number 12 in your Bible. It says, and he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. God in this chapter told Daniel, close it up. He said, I'm done talking about this. Seal the book up. He uses the word seal the book until the time of the end. You say, well, Brother Steve, well, what's so great about this? Why did you call this discovery? Because we're looking backwards at this. But if we look forward at what God is going to do with it all, look at Revelation chapter number 22 and verse number 10. After he gave the word of God to John, he says, And he said unto him, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. We have a word that Daniel didn't have. We have a promise of the mystery of the church that Daniel didn't have. We have a time of discovery. We are living in days that we discover God more than the children of Israel in the days of Daniel. We can be closer to him now and we sit idly in air-conditioned rooms going, I just wish they'd be quiet. I just wish we'd get through with all this. And the only time we want to ring God's bell is when we have a wreck or when we got something going on. And then we're going, oh, God, please help me, help me, help me, help me. And listen, we've got the truth. It says there will be a time that they will be coming for knowledge from everywhere. And they want it. Preachers, listen to me. Don't you quit preaching. If you think you can do something else, you absolutely need to do something else. Because if you can't, if you can stop the preaching that's within you and shut the fire up within your bones, then you need to do something else. But if you've got a word to share with people, don't sit around and wait on a pulpit. Get an old milk carton box or a milk crate box or a soap box and stand on it at the corner somewhere. Tell somebody about Jesus. Go to your neighbor's house and ask them if they would like an apple pie and a word of God. Amen. Listen, you get the apple pie in them, they'll be quiet long enough for you to get the Word of God in them. In the end, there will be discovery. In the end, listen, I'm going to close with some of these things right here. In the end, there is devotion or blessedness, if you want to look at it that way. There's going to be this time of great blessing. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 10, uh, 12, verse number 10 and 11. Look at these awesome words. It says, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, don't get messed up. I'm going to walk slow. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,335 days. I know what you're thinking. The same thing that I think. Okay, why? Don't y'all look at that and go, why? Somebody said something the other day that I gave up on math when they started putting the alphabet into it. 
Right? I did too. I have no idea what that stuff means. People get hung up and they go, what does this mean? This must have some real deep meaning and we've got to go through it. You know what a preacher told me years and years ago, some good old preachers? He said, son, when you get in Scripture and you get to the bottom of that Scripture, he said, you can't go any deeper than where the bottom of that level of that Scripture is. He said, when you go down here to the river, go down to the creek, he said, when you get to the bottom of the creek and you got your feet on the bottom of that thing, he said, for you to go down there and dig up further in the bottom, he said, you're just muddy in the river. And the same way with Scripture, church, you need to listen, is that when you get to the bottom of the Scripture, you don't need to try to go any deeper or super-spiritualize it. You just need to read it for what it says. And if you understand the history lesson that I gave you two weeks ago, which nobody understood that. Everybody was, when we left here, they were like, good grief, who is Ptolemy? Who is Ptolemy and who is Seleucid, <laughs> right? What in the world of the Ptolemaic, uh, Ptolemaic Empire and all this stuff in the wars? If you would understand, it's real easy. Listen. God is showing Daniel through this man, Antiochus Epiphanes. He said, this is going to be one of Israel's worst times. And this is, if you talk to any Jew today and ask them what the worst time of Jewish history was, they will openly tell you. Many of us think in our day today that it was the Holocaust because of the number of the people that were starved to death and other things like that. But there is no celebration. There is no victory over that. There was no conquering thing that Israel did alone over that. It took the hands of many nations to come in and destroy Hitler and all these things and Stalin and this stuff that went on. But in Israel, true Judaism, you will always go back to 165 B.C. When you go back to those days, actually about 172, when you go back that far, you'll understand that this man that was so wicked, he killed 40,000 Jews in one single day. He did not have them chambered and gas and all of that stuff and starved to death. He slaughtered them in the open and slayed their bodies and the blood throughout the streets in one day. He was a man that not only did that, but he desecrated the temple of God by bringing a sow, a hog in, and slit that animal open and poured the blood on there and offered the, made bacon up on top of the, the altar and did that and desecrated the temple of God. And in every Jewish person, they always celebrate Hanukkah around Christmas because they know it is the time that God was with them. And a man by the name of Judas Maccabees came in, and when he came in with all of the armies that he could just kind of muster up, it was probably one of the weakest militias that you could think of. There's no way they should have beat uh, back Antiochus Epiphanes or any of them. You will understand that when Antiochus Epiphanes came in, it was 1,260 days to the day, which would be three and a half years if you look at 30-day months according to Jewish timeline, 1,260 days, you would understand that when he came in there, he desecrated the temple. And at that moment, that's when the people of God said, no more. This is not what we want. We want to worship God. And they said, we're doing away with him. And Daniel says right here to the people, he says, Blessed are you that make it to the 1,290-day period. Because what took place is, is when Judas Maccabees began to fight and began to go against it took 30 days. It took 30 days for them to run Antiochus Epiphanes out of there and started fighting and warring. But he says, But you are truly blessed when you come to the 1,335th day which is another month and a half later when finally Antiochus was defeated and killed. He said, Brother Steve, what does all that mean? This confuses me a lot of times. <clears throat> this is always God being devoted to his people, Israel. God told the people Israel, Brother Mitch, he said, 70 years 
is going to happen. Jeremiah prophesied it. Seventy years happened, and then they were able to go back and build their temple. He told them after that, though, he said, 70 years, he said 70 weeks, 490 years are determined from that point when you start rebuilding the wall in the temple all the way up to the time of the Messiah coming, there's going to be 483 years that pass by. And he said, when you come to that point, Messiah is going to step in. And what happens at the cross, this is what happens. Listen, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. If you come to salvation, you can go no other way. You can't bring another lamb or another ram or turtle doves. you got to come through Jesus. So what Jesus did at Calvary is he made salvation's ground level. Everybody comes through him. But he's saying, endure, because there's seven years left. He said, and when you come to that point, you know that there's only a little time left. And you say, Brother Stephen, I don't get that. I don't understand. There are going to be people by the droves, Jewish people, that are going to not receive the mark of the beast. They're not going to be able to eat. They're not going to be able to get their food. They're going to be, Andrew, like some of the people that we saw. I'm going to tell you what humbles you. is When you see a bunch of little kids coming out of the dump with a garbage bag full of bread, and expired sandwich meat, running, taking it home, and opening it up and eating it. In the last days, he says, you're not even going to be able to find those things. What God's telling Daniel and all of those Jewish people, Sister Darlene, is this, but you hold on. Help's coming. You hold on. He's coming. And you may endure for a long night. Joy comes in the morning. Hang on to him. He's telling them that you need to just press through. Listen, Matthew 24, 21 says this. Come on, Brandon. It says, For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor shall ever be. You remember Jesus says that. It would be across the world, all these things happening. But in Daniel, Brother Craig, he said it would be to that nation such as never was before. So is Jesus wrong? No, he's not wrong. He's saying what affects Israel is going to affect all of the world. At that time, he says, and except those, this is good, and except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, the days are shortened. That is, that scripture is God's love for Israel. He says, if God wasn't gracious and forbearing and long-suffering, then all of them would be wiped away. But it says, but for the elect's sake, God, he elected in the Old Testament. He said, those days are shortened. That's God. Man, that's a father's heart. Listen, I've got to get to this last thing. I don't even know how much more I got. This, this last one? Y'all know it's the last one? This number eight? Listen, in the end, there's a deduction. There is a conclusion. <clears throat> there's a standing. Deduction. There, there's something that's there. Number one is this, there stands Jesus. You give me five minutes, and I'll promise you I'll get you out of here, and you'll be excited. At the end, <clears throat> if you want to write this down, at the end, there stands Jesus. Daniel chapter 12, verse 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. There were two angels that were there. Could have been Gabriel and could have been Michael. And it says, and the one said, uh, excuse me, and the one said to the man clothed in linen. You remember the one that was clothed in linen? We talked about him back in chapter number 8. You remember we talked about him in Revelation also, chapter number 10. 
He says, And the one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river. Isn't it amazing that he's standing on the water? You know, Peter would recognize him probably better than we would. But he's standing on the water. It says, I heard him say these things. Look at this. When he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all of these things shall be finished. Right here, we see a picture of Jesus standing on this water. The angel saying, how long is it going to be? Jesus lifts his hands toward heaven. He says, it will be, we know, at that three and a half year mark, times, times, it will be that, that portion of time. But in Revelation chapter number 10, we see Jesus standing there again. The Bible says that it appeared as a mighty angel who was clothed with a cloud, which was the glory of God. It says that he was, uh, had a rainbow about his face, about his head. His sun shines at the sun in the brightness of the daytime. It says that he lifted up his hands unto heaven. He put one foot on the sand and one foot on the sea. And what did he do? He said, time will be no more. In Daniel, he said, it's a short time. But in Revelation, he said, no more. No more, amen. We see Jesus standing up and he's worshiping the Father. At the end of it all, when everything's over with, one thing we will see, there's Jesus. He's the one. Revelation chapter 10 says that the angel stood up. He says, on the sea, earth lifted up his hands to heaven. And he swore by him that liveth forever who created heaven and the things that are there, therein are. And the earth... <clears throat> And the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. We see all of this. You know, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to take all of this in? How are we supposed to get all of Daniel chapter 1 through Daniel chapter 12 and bring it into our thought and our Christian walk and, our, and process it? Last Sunday before last, somebody came up to me and said, I would have amened you more, but I was chewing it up. I said, that's the best thing I ever heard in my life. You know what I mean? If you can't amen, just go, mm-hmm, if you're chewing, right? Listen, what God is teaching us through the book of Daniel, more than anything, is that he's faithful. He's there. He teaches us these things. Listen, I wrote them down. Kingdoms will rise and fall, and they will come and go like the ebb and flow of the ocean. But God will still stand at the end. He's the one that remains. God's judgment will come upon his people, even believers who have been disobedient. But it will not last for the one who returns and repents. Satan will rear his devilish head and deceive many with his deceptive power, but will suffer the greatest of destruction as he is defeated by the Prince of Peace and cast into the lake of fire and never to bother God's people again. And finally, there's Jesus. Your brother Steve is at the end of it all. I was trying to do all of that. But there's one other thing, one person that you'll see. There stands Jesus, but there stands the believer. There we stand. At the end of it all, Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, he says, Daniel, but go your way till the end be, for thou shalt rest. and shalt stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Look at those three things that he tells me. He says, Daniel, first of all, go your way. He said, man, don't you get bogged down by the world. 
And don't get bogged down by this tribulation period that's coming. And don't get bogged down by the darkness that will happen. And that's going on in churches today. I hear Christians, many older Christians say, oh, it's just going to get worse and worse and wax worse and worse and wickeder and wickeder and all these things. And we get bogged down by judgment that will be coming when what we need to be doing is not get bogged down, but just keep going our way. Keep sharing the gospel. Why should we go our way? Look at the second thing he said. Because you're going to come to a time of rest. He said, Daniel, someday you'll rest. Listen to me. Those of you that are over 60, 65, you haven't been called to sit. No, you don't get to sit till you go home. There, you've got time to rest. He said, Brother Steve, I can't do it like I used to. I agree. Neither can I. My wife reminds me that I've had three back surgeries just about once a week. I can't do like I used to. But that doesn't mean I can't do anything. Rest is coming someday. But look at the third thing. He said, at the end of the day, stand in your lot. You know what he's talking about, standing in your lot? He's talking about a word here that's used. It's growl. G-R-O-G-O-R-A-L. It's pronounced like growl. Like, ah, growl. Okay, that's the only way I can remember stuff. You know what it is? The Bible says that that priest, are you with me? Don't turn me off just yet. Just give me a little bit. Well, I know I preach long. There's a guy down there. He said, can you help me, Pastor? My church wants me to preach for 45 minutes. I said, where is this church? He said, they're ki-. he did. He said, they're killing me. He said, I can't preach for 45 minutes. I'm like, man, you go to my church. They love you. You know. But remember the high priest, they'd reach in behind that ephod, that breastplate. When they'd ask God a question, you may think this is foolish or superstitious, but, but God dealt with the children of Israel with signs and wonders. They didn't have the word of God like we have, where we go, go to this and find the treasure, you know, and, and enjoy it. No, they said, God, what should we do about this situation? And behind that breastplate, <clears throat> right, 12 stones out there, they had two stones behind it. It's called the Urim and the Thummim. And one was black and one was white. And the one that they pulled out was the answer that God gave them. They called it casting lots. They never called it rolling dice. Don't don't use that cop-out excuse, I'm going down to Mississippi to cast lots. They did not call it rolling dice. They were casting lots. They were asking God what his decision was. Even at the days of Jesus when he was crucified, do you remember Craig, he had that garment and those Roman soldiers cast lots to see who got it. They drew straws, they did whatever it took to see who got that thing. That word growl, lot, it means small pebble, small rock. In the New Testament, we meet this guy by the name of Simon. His brother brings him to Jesus. And when he brings him to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he tells him, you're no longer going to be called Simon. But there was a characteristic about Simon that was different. He said, you're going, I'm going to change your name to not just Simon, but we're going to call you Simon Peter. The Greek word for Peter is Petros. It means small pebble that's hollowed out from a rock. People go, well, I thought he changed his name to Cephas. Yes, he did, not Bocephus. But he changed his name to Cephas because Cephas is the Aramaic version of Peter. So it's the same thing. See, so what was he getting at? He said, you're no longer just Simon, son. You're Simon the Rock. And what he told him is, you're going to stand in that. You stand in the fact 
that I've called you into leadership. You're Simon the Rock. Not Simon the Fisherman, but Simon the Rock. But when we get to the Old Testament, New Testament word about Jesus being the capital R, rock, it's different. It's not Petros. It's not in the word of small pebble. But what it's talking about is the actual rock. And what he's saying is, is that, listen, son, you are not the rock. You are a pebble that came out of the rock. Are y'all understanding that? What he's saying is, is that when he called him that, it was like he took his chisel and went, bink, and broke him off. And he said, no, you're not the main thing, but you are a portion of the main thing. We aren't the main thing, but we are a rock that is hewn out of the rock, amen, and we need to stand in that assurance. We need to stand in the fact that what he has given us. You say, what do you do? Stand in my lot. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. No matter where I go, I'm from the rock. I am a portion of the rock. Isaiah 51 says, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock from whence you are hewn. Amen. He says, and to the hole or the pit, what, where you were digged. God is saying, when I came to you, Craig, I brought you out of a pit. Amen. You were a rock that came off of the original rock, but you found yourself down in the pit. And now I brought you out of that. And he says, you need to stand in that. You need to hold on to that. You need to stand in what it is. Listen to this song. It says, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin. My double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Listen to these words. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless I look to thee for grace. To thy fountain, Lord, I fly. Wash me, Jesus, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, and when I close my eyes in death, I will rise to worlds unknown to behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. You say, how can we stand in the end days, Brother Steve? You need to get back connected into the hollow of the capital R rock. And you need to find your place again and fit back in the hollow of it all. And know that you came from him and you can hide in the cleft of the rock of ages. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Lord, please speak to us.